Hello and welcome to Therapy Tales podcast episode 57 with me, Dawn Walton, the human therapist, and... <laughs> and just um, rabbit in the headlights. I didn't, we didn't do this last time because we just started talking, so you didn't do the rabbit in the headlights thing. I did, I said I was a professional kinetic behaviorist. You, you introduce yourself in a very structured professional way, but this time when I just like directly asked you, you're just like, what? Who am I today? Who am I today? Uh, not a deity, because apparently we're not gods not or God, something. Sorry, you're going to have to get over yourself. <sighs> Sucks, eh? Yes, I'm a canine rehabilitator. Mm, that's that? an interesting one. Is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're a human rehabilitator. Okay, I actually was thinking, um, I've been introducing you to people as the human behaviour therapist, because you're really good at human behaviour. Yes, it is. Actually, I was having a conversation with somebody on a walk the other day, and they were talking about... Uh, friends and dogs and things like this and they were talking about this one dog that was a bit of a brat when they went on a walk with it and then they were talking about this other dog uh, that they happened to like that particular breed and they really wanted one of those dogs and that dog was also being a brat but it wasn't to them they were just going oh it's so lovely and it was such a character and all this sort of stuff and I said that's really interesting isn't it because one dog that you didn't like the breed of you thought was a horrible dog but this <laughs> other dog that was behaving in just as bad a way you thought was lovely in a character and she's like oh I hate talking to a psychologist <laughs> I'm like oops yeah sorry about that <clears throat> I kind of just looked for patterns everywhere and uh, I found one and I said it. And, you know, you, as you said, you rubbed off on me now because you're now, um, I'm now kind of tolerating everybody's behaviour. Yeah. Like, oh, look at that stupid person. And, uh, you know, I, I expect people to behave like they've got issues, so yeah. therefore I'm tolerating them more. You are. You were, you were accused, quote, <laughs> little air quote, of being, um, having lots of empathy. It's terrible. I know. Where'd What's that going come on? from? Broke you. <laughs> We were talking about social media, we're talking about and talking about empathy and understanding and um, I think when you're posting stuff online there's just this huge, uh, the anonymity of it breaks down the barriers so you say things and do things that you would never say to somebody if you're able to look them in the eye. I find when I wake up to negative things like pictures of kids with their face mauled and stuff, it puts me in a really bad mood. Does it? And if I go on Facebook... <laughs> so weird. And when I go on Facebook... I then see things that I then write really and like angry comments on, like yes, especially yeah. on like dog specific breed pages. Yeah. Like the chow chow it was really funny, right? Because the chow chow ones are in the dark ages, they're all like you need to pin your dog and bite their ears and, and you have to be the alpha. I know, honestly. And then the opposite of that is like I don't know, the spaniel pages where it's like, never say no and just cuddle it if it's gonna bite you. And you know, like, you know, rainbows and, and unicorn kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so the breed specific pages are the worst places to ask for advice. So someone comes on and is like, I've got a 64 week old week old puppy and it's still mouthing, it's teething, right? <laughs> and it's still it's still mouthing me. And I'm like, and it's like, what advice can you give me? Go and see a professional behaviorist, angry face, right? This is what I write. And it's not even that bad. No. But it's like, why the angry face? And then I come back with, because people like you need to stop asking the public for advice and get, you know, pay someone to help you. And, and then I get a load of abuse from people that are like, she's just asking for help yeah. and all this. But this is the kind of moments that I should not go on Facebook because I'm already yes. set up for... You're in a state. Yeah. yeah. Actually, the ones that really annoy me are the ones that say something... I'm going to stress it now. ...nasty and judgy, yum yums. Which apparently is Scottish. I thought they were an American thing. Well, it doesn't even say that on Greg's. It just says sweet treat. Yes, but yum yum is like a, a twist donut without anything in the middle. 
and icing on the outside. If you've just finished these sweet treats, it means one of two things. You're in a good mood and you have a box to dispose of. We're hoping that number one, you might be portrayed to do number two in a responsible way. How nice is that? That's, Greg's being environmentally friendly. As opposed to your stress eating and your eating way too much sugar than you should be doing, in which case you might beat the box up. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, my... so the ones that really annoy me are the ones that go on and say something arsy and then they put a smiley face on the end. So it's like you can cancel everything out with a smiley face. Like the people who park randomly anywhere they want to on a road, but they put the hazard flashes on because it means it's, you know, I'm only stopping here for a reason. So now I can stop wherever I want to because I've got my hazard flashes on. Entitled angry folk. Yes. So those are the comments on um, social media that annoy me or the ones that do everybody thinks this. So they're not giving their opinion because they feel uncomfortable giving their opinion. So they, they cover it up with uh, this is what everybody thinks and this is a well-known fact. So I don't get a lot of any, actually, no. on my Facebook social media. I don't get any negative feedback. No. Um, something's happened historically. I don't know what. No idea. But I and, and I think it happens to a few trainers. Like it's like you stay off each other's pages. Although recently, because of the the wars going on behind the scenes and positive and whatever, <laughs> just like whatever, um, there has been people commenting. But I seem to be immune to it. Yeah, so I think... Which is good and bad. I think it's really annoying when you're having a go at somebody and they don't react to you having a go at them. That's the first thing, right? So if you want to kind of be all indignant and stuff, somebody going, all right, you're entitled to your opinion, really steals your thunder quite a lot. Um, you, sometimes you just want to get into a good old argument. Um, I think the other thing is that it's very hard for anybody to say anything to you and sound reasonable. Because you'll be able to put a reasonable counter on there, a non-emotional, non-judgmental statement of facts, evidence and things like that, which means um, it's no fun to argue with somebody who's going to be really reasonable with you as well. Or I'm attracting logical people. You also, your, your personal <laughs> stuff has a unique group who are just interested in you and, and, and already oh, into the idea of what you do. The, the Instagram's an interesting one because this is new for me, right? I didn't really use Instagram. Dawn set me up. In fact, your daughter's responsible for it because she said she suggested that you get Instagram first, and then then I got it. No, that wasn't the way. I've was had Instagram for quite a bit longer than you had Instagram. Yeah, no, I'm TikTok sure. TikTok was, was not? that that you're oh, talking right. about? TikTok. Okay, sorry. Um, they're all the same. They're so, not all the same. They're quite <laughs> different communities. It's really interesting. They're really different communities. Um, in terms of anonymity, so Facebook is fans, it's people who are engaged with you, follow you for a long time. Instagram is between um, Facebook and TikTok. So TikTok is this, if you put a hashtag on Instagram, it might say 30,000 people have used this hashtag before. If you put the same hashtag on TikTok, it'll tell you 3 billion people have used that before. So you've got this massive anonymous community on TikTok. It is anonymous. You can't. The comments aren't as good. Like there isn't the kind of thread thing I no, found. No, it's not very well. Really short. TikTok is really, really short character limit, so you can't really have sure. a good old rant. Yeah. Instagram has a better one. It seems to be like I, I don't like using it because I think it flares up my ADHD. I'm not diagnosed. I'm just self-diagnosing. Like I'm all over the place. Um, but really good at it. Like a really good ADHD person. If you're gonna do something, do it well. <laughs> so I find that. The, the quick flicking as well. There's a there's obviously a dopamine release when you're doing it, 
and it becomes addictive, but it also seems to shorten my attention span even worse. So I'm trying to not you like you know how yeah. Ashley will sit and send me at night, like she'll be on flicking through the reels and she'll send me funny things. Yeah. And then you get trapped into that kind you of do. oh it's funny. But I think something that happens in the brain where you don't have the attention span. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The flicking through the reels on Instagram. It's almost reinforcing behaviours that are good. not healthy. But I, I have the same obsession with stats. I love stats. Okay. So I love viewing stats. I love engagement stats. Um, and so I, if I've got something that's measured, I will be constantly checking the measures that go with it. I, I'm doing it because I come from a stats background, so I'm like, what does this mean? Where does it go? But I'll also do the really negative side of it, which is comparison with other people. Why are their stats better? Why are they getting more likes? Why have they got more followers? What am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me? Blah, 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 and all sorts of stuff. I'm not really bothered by that kind of stuff. But, oh, I know. Um, yeah, so the Instagram thing's really funny, because I put up a video of... <clears throat> we were just walking one day, and it was like laughing about people with small dogs. Um, laughing but also in a not very laughing way where like they string their dogs up by their leads if they see a big dog coming because they've always yeah. had a bad experience and they're trying to protect themselves and their dog by being over reactive themselves yes so they're pre preparing they're always checking always scanning and if they perceive a risk they do counter maneuvers often grab the dogs and yank them up or something like that so i we thought it'd be funny to do a video with a big dog being treated like a small dog and then we were like oh my god we could totally set that up because we've got small dogs and big dog and so the video is me with the daxies walking towards me naturally wanting to come towards their mom on a lead yeah with a with with the stranger to them yeah well, pulling, you know, pulling on this lead and um, coming towards me and me overreacting, screaming and picking up Tristan, which I'd pre-practiced because that's a really odd manoeuvre for me to yes, do. So yeah, I made yeah. sure that he wasn't going to bite me in the face. And uh, he was like, cool, this is a great game. <laughs> um, so picked him up and screamed. So it's a funny video. It's, it's supposed to be satire. It's so funny that Ashley, who was taking the video, couldn't stop herself laughing while she's videoing it. So Useless. The, towards the end, it's like got this laughter and shaking going on in the video. And you've got to have the sound on the video because you've got to have your scream because that really makes it. Yeah, I just scream. I'm um, going to just check while we're talking that how many views it actually got because it's absolutely ridiculous amount of views. Um, yeah, like, it's, like it's got a more on Instagram than it's got on TikTok. Yeah, a lot, right? It's like 400,000 or something. Yeah, just under half a million. So we're um, we're famous, okay? But the comments on it, <laughs> it's hilarious because you've got people that are like, yeah, this is what they do. This is what people with small dogs do. And you've got people that are like, this is so responsible. Yeah. And um, it's unusual for me. The reason I'm mentioning it is it's unusual for me to have any negative feedback. Yes. And so therefore, your first reaction is, oh, someone hates me. Right? And then I went, oh my God, is it irresponsible? Are people going to think that they should pick up their big dog? <laughs> and you have well, this spiral of questioning yourself. Because people going, oh, I'm going to do this with my staffy. It looks really good fun. <laughs> God. <laughs> so you had, you had groups uh, of people. You had the ones that were like, I'm going to do that with my dog. It looks really good fun. The other ones that went, I totally understand they're doing that because, you know, little dogs are really dangerous as well. And then other ones going, oh, that's terrible what she's doing to her big dog. And, you know, and, and you put hashtags on it that clearly made it obvious that it was a spoof, apart from the laughing video, you know. But you've got people who don't look at any of that stuff. They just look at the video and then they straight away go in with their own perception. It's always about them. Right? So what I love, and I love watching things like this. One person said weird and one person says bloody dumb fake shit. Don't show novice people the wrong way when it isn't even real. 
yeah. <laughs> so, so you're oh, going to get some real stuff like that. And, and I think what's interesting is what that has done, that person has opened little doors in the front of their brain and they've showed you what's going on in their brain. That's all the comment is. So when somebody comments on your stuff... But we put so much weight on someone else's opinion. But that's all it is. It's them showing you what they think. So being able to say, thanks for sharing what you think, is fine, because that's all they've done. It doesn't mean anything. But the problem is, we all, especially if we have any insecurity, are like, maybe they're right. Maybe everybody's thinking that. Maybe that's... So we'll we'll also pick out the things from the negative comments (coughs) that... Are particularly relevant to us to notice. So Atlas, um, Atlas's owners put up a, a post about the muzzle. Yeah. And obviously something's happened. She's got a negative feedback. But the thing is, she's got thousands of followers that are all saying really positive things, and we're rooting for you, and you've got this Atlas. And but our brains don't pick up on that, even though it heavily outweighs the one person that says, "Why has it got a muzzle on?" Yeah. Why does our Why do our brains focus in on the negative? I think it's just that basic survival thing. It's what's going to kill us, what's going to hurt us. We're always looking for what's going to hurt us. Surely we can program our brains to ignore the negative. No, because our brains should have evolved beyond this, right? Should have. There are no tigers, (laughs) there are no things. These things that we perceive are going to hurt us. There's very little physical danger in westernised life these days. And yet we are all reacting. Any anxious reaction is based on a physical threat. So we can't change that. Our brains, so they've adapted but not evolved. They've adapted to include things that are emotionally going to hurt us and react exactly the same way as it's physically going to hurt us. It's kind of crazy that we all live in this world of invisible tigers. And do you think that the person who wrote the comment would think this is going to emotionally hurt the reader? No, they are kind of sharing on the basis they believe their view is right. So that's the other thing about this. We believe we're right. And we believe that you have invited our opinion by putting it publicly, which you have, by the way. If I put something on any social media, then it is fair game. Because if I don't want you to comment on it, I'm not going to post it. That's my choice. And, and what's your response? Have you, have you trained yourself if you read any negative comments? Because you're more likely to get it on TikTok or Instagram than you are on Facebook. I don't tend to get negative comments. Um, it's very, very unusual for me to get negative comments because I'm not really saying anything that's that contentious. Um, you have to be doing or saying something that's contentious to get negative comments. But for me, uh, book reviews. Book reviews are a great one. So um, you will get some book reviews. I have got some book reviews going, this is a load of tosh, this is just meaningless nonsense. Um, I had somebody call it um, psychobabble or something like that. And I just find it entertaining because that's them telling me what they think. And for me, it's usually, well, what's that about that they saw it that way? So when somebody writes something negative, I think one of the negative comments I had on TikTok was, you really shouldn't use that word, because that word has all these negative associations. I can't even remember what the word was. And so you go a step beyond the comment and think about their brain. and I go into therapist mode. I'm like, oh, (laughs) what's going on behind there that makes you react in that way to that thing? That's really interesting, right? Don't want to sit yourself in front of me right now. And so as a therapist, have you you, um, had to learn or been taught um, how to... I take people's because they're going to come with a lot of heavy stuff to you. Yes. So have you got a barrier there that affects it not going into your own? Yeah, it, it was really hard at the start. Um, I think we all tend to do the me, me, me too, me too, me too. And I'm really lucky because I've got lots of matching experiences to most of my clients. So there's almost always something I can go, I can relate to that. I've had that experience. And is that helpful? No, not at all. It's absolutely <laughs> useless because the way I respond to things is totally different to the way they will respond. We can so, 
if someone says to you, I've, um, you know, uh, I've had some really bad experience happen, so I was raped, right? Um, d does your brain go, me too, or does your brain go barrier, alert, red flag? What happens? There's probably a really instant process, which is there will be a pattern match because we always pattern match. So there will be a match of, I know what you're talking about, I can put that in my world. And do you think there's a physical? Do you think there's a physical? Yeah, there will always, I think for certain things, you're going to have your, your mind, your subconscious out of your awareness is going, yeah, okay, I know what that feels like. And then very quickly, because I'm really good at disassociating, it becomes a non-issue for me. And I'm back in the, what's this about and what does it mean? Because it's like, firstly, it's like, well, it's irrelevant what happened for me. It's not, re it, what's relevant is the effect it's had on you, not what actually happened. Okay. So the I... Mean, the meaning behind it. Yeah, it's the meaning behind it. So in itself, it's not a thing. It's what does it mean? It's so what? So this is I, completely irrelevant right now, but I need I feel the need to say it. Okay. I came across this article. Um, there's been a few, a few times in the past where they think that uh, female, females have crossed with um, primates, so chimpanzees, orangutans. I know, and science says it can't be done. Okay. But there's a place in Africa where apparently it's happened quite a few times, and they they, they live very closely with right. baboons. And, and uh, it's normal for them, as part of their culture, to have sex with um, primates, okay. both ways, like females, males. Yeah. I don't know why that's relevant right now. What were we talking about? <laughs> Rape, yeah. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I just thought it was fascinating that the reason I'm talking about it is because um, as, as I've got to know you, actually, and then working with people in the community as part of our therapy work, um, it seems to be that we don't really talk about sexual relations and assault and things as being normal it's very like it's a bad thing but actually in a lot of cultures um it's it's normalized and yeah. ch 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 child sex and, and things is completely normal yeah i think it comes down to the meaning in things so it's, that's it's I was always going down that, to the meaning of things and i think um, a lot of the reasons a lot of therapists burn out is most people get into therapy because they have their stuff mm -hmm. and most people give too much of themselves into their client session um, they get too evolved. I've got so many people who've like, uh, my therapist started crying when I told them my story. I'm like, I have But, but that, I did, I got really emotional when you told me yours, you know, and you, you checked in with me, I remember, uh, you know, you were right after, because it's like giving somebody yes. this, you know, um, and, you know, although it, it is a burden, and it's, you know, it's not useful for you or for me, because you kind of want to protect people but then by protecting the society yeah. and the children and we don't talk about it it then becomes even worse for people that have to go through things like that yeah i think i think so i, I think it's a really tricky subject so um i went to a recovery cafe events in dundee uh, last week i think it was and uh, dundee drug death capital europe um so many organizations there's a recovery mode roadmap so many organizations involved in helping addicts in fact if you walk around the overgate shopping center in dundee you will see signs to say carry naloxone which is the injection you give somebody who's had an overdose to stop them dying well wow. so this is an advert in our local shopping center that says carry this life-saving like an epipen for um toxic shock or whatever um we should all carry one of these so if we pass an addict who's overdosed we can save their life can you imagine what sort of environment requires 
that you put an advert in a local shopping centre that regular people should think about carrying something like that. So I go to this thing because I'm always looking, as a private therapist, it's really hard for me because people can only see me if they can afford to see me. And I want to help people. That's why I write the books and do the talks and things like that. And podcasts. And podcasts and everything that I do to communicate because I want people to realise what's possible. And I know not everybody can afford to come and see me. So I'm always looking at chances to give something back to offer help. So I thought, I'll go along to this event and see if there's anything I can do for it. And I'm on a table with like five other women. It's the idea of recovery cafe is the addicts kind of run it. Whether you're in recovery or you're still addicted, it doesn't matter. Gives you a purpose, sense of community, some really good stuff. Um, And I'm talking to the people and I'm trying not to be a therapist because, you know, they don't know who I am. Although, in fairness, I was sat next to somebody who'd read my book and had listened to the podcasts and then, you know. I don't think you realise how famous you actually are. (laughs) So it was a bit weird, but I'm trying not to go into therapy mode and actually try and talk from my own experience. And having a brother who's been an addict his whole life, I have relevant experience. And at the end of it, I end up sitting and chatting to a, a lady who was telling me of her own experience and asked me what my background was. So I shared because I'm an open book and I will always tell people and um, and then I was giving her a little bit of help on how to look about something in her own stuff and she walked out the room light as a feather with a big smile on her face thinking this was a great meeting and it was wonderful to be able to do that. But me, I had given another little piece of myself. So I had had to go to that place to talk about my stuff and it left me in a really difficult place that I then had to process. And that's not something I would normally do with a client. Wow. Because I don't need to give my story to help my clients. And actually, it can get in the way, as you say. It can make them think my stuff's worse than theirs or make them think that um, it's not fair of them to tell me stuff because it might hurt me and things like that. So it really It's is not relevant. their job to be your therapist. It is not their because job. Because you need training to be a therapist. Yeah. And, and so I learned in the early days to be very good at not engaging, which means that very often we're having a laugh and a joke, which may seem inappropriate sometimes, but actually it makes it nice because it reminds you that you are still you, even if you're talking about your stuff. And I think it's it's really easy to get into this dark place where we're all just about me and my problems. And you're like, nah, you are the person who can have a laugh at how ridiculous this is. Um, and it, you know, you have to temper it a little bit, but most people who choose me as a therapist will choose me because it's okay to do that. If it wasn't, they'd go to somebody else, quite frankly. So yeah, it's really difficult when you've got lots of stuff to not get lost in your stuff. But because I'm a therapist and because I'm a master of disassociating, I have tools and approaches and techniques to do this and I can recognize when I'm doing it. So probably I'm way more measured in responding to comments and things than most people would be because I recognize it comes from their stuff. Plus, I don't want to go there with me. And I've learned through you much more tolerant to people as well because um, we are just a product of our upbringing and environment and it is very hard to break away from that and, and have free will. Yeah. I've often said that free will is on a scale and we have to work hard to, yeah. to keep it. Or, or... And we're in and out of it, aren't we? So, so it's okay to go into a state but to recognise you can come out of it and I think one of the things that works really well with you and I when we're talking through some of my stuff is 
you do what you do in every situation, you just randomly start talking about something else, you know, a dog will come in and you'll be distracted. Now, in a therapy session, that would be really weird for your therapist to suddenly be distracted by something. But in my world, that works brilliantly because it anchors you into reminding yourself that this is just not happening just now. And I think that's really important for us. So I think most people, when they're interacting, do not realize that they're not interacting as the present version themselves. They're interacting as a hijacked It's, it's been amazing uh, learning through you and with you because um, one of the things that happens sometimes is there'll be trigger words that will take you to eight-year-old Dawn. And eight-year-old Dawn is absolutely petulant. And I was really confused for a while because I was like, this Dawn isn't behaving the same way. So we, we've gone and gone, right, any therapy Dawn back to help me with eight-year-old Dawn. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and then sometimes even when we when we text, not for a while now, but sometimes when we text, um, eight year old Donald texts me, and and now I I, I recognise it and I go ah okay, yep. and she needs help with this. Uh, yeah, it's fascinating, absolutely brilliant, but um, amazing that you can teach someone as you've taught yourself coping skills to be able to go in and out, um, and not not get stuck in this is all I am or you know. Yeah, it's really easy, and, and I think that's my problem sometimes with things like um, Alcoholics Anonymous, for example. You know, the idea of a twelve-step program, the idea that you will always be an alcoholic in recovery, and that's not the way my it's world very works. very negative. It's very <laughs> negative, and actually what happens is you go to the meetings and everybody's like, yeah, me, and I know this, and it's keeping you in that place. Do you think those places are trauma-informed? Oh, God, no. Like, so not trauma-informed. I had a meeting with a strategist yesterday. I'll not mention her name, but you know exactly who it is. And um, I sh we showed her the recovery roadmap with the nine... How many is there? 90 charities? Yeah, there's 90 so charities many. all doing mental health things. Um, this is the recovery roadmap for Dundee, just for this area. and um, Just for Dundee City. Just for Dundee City. And every... So there's a lot of them that are parishy and religious because, of course, that's where the first mental health... Yeah, it's, it's where the, the poor can go and the people with additional needs. And that's the place that always but has that's an That's a little door. bit scary for me because that's their own... You know, religion's got its own version of therapy, okay, which yeah. is fine. We'll put it on a shelf for a moment. <laughs> but if they're not trauma-informed and they're all starting up and there's a lot of overlap with these charities, there's nobody regulating them to say that that's the right type of therapy or thing yep. to see and we've had experience recently because Don and I um, run on a Friday afternoon we run a mentoring session for people that are supporting others so not just therapists and counsellors but anybody who's working in a support role area yep. professionally and there's a mentoring thing happening isn't there with um, in schools where you can go in and uh, yeah yeah with it's young people organization that and again, no training. So someone come to us and, and said, you know, I'd like a little bit of help with how to speak to young people when they approach me with their shit, because yep. what do I do? Yep. And that's quite worrying, isn't it? And, and um, it, we should be training our support workers to know how to handle and have a trauma-informed approach. And it's like, what is trauma-informed, right? So trauma-informed, uh, there's so many dimensions to what trauma-informed really is. And what was the comment you got this week? Does it have to be a traumatic experience to qualify be, as trauma? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I pointed them to the video that describes what trauma really is. But trauma-informed is, is, is very non-judgmental. 
so it's not assuming that you know what people's stuff is about and what solutions. So a trauma-informed mindfulness practitioner would not tell you just to breathe and then tell you off when you weren't doing the breathing properly. They would recognize that breathing could be triggering and they might have other things in their pack like um, focus on a sensation in your toe or look at the bark on the tree. They would have other things to say, you know, a trauma-informed mindfulness or yoga practitioner would recognize that maybe connecting to your body is not healthy for a lot of people. And you've had experience in, in when you went to therapy before you were a therapist, you've yeah. had experience of therapists not understanding that yeah. you had a really physical reaction, something that they did or said, yeah. and they didn't even recognize it, so they left you in a state. Yes, they didn't. so trauma-informed is recognizing that where things that have happened to you might affect you. Trauma-informed for addicts is recognizing that an addict isn't just somebody who chooses to do their addiction because they've got no better choices to make. That, that you can't just say stop your addiction and suddenly they're going to feel great and everything's going to be sorted. It's not the addiction that's the problem, it's the reason they've got the addiction that's the problem. So, so trauma-informed is about understanding how we use language, how we don't judge, how we don't make assumptions that something will work, like, you know, be positive or the thing you shared about, you know, if you can't love yourself, you can't love anybody else. Oh, right, I'm just totally screwed now then, because if I can't love myself, I'm totally unlovable. To be fair, I didn't share that publicly. I shared it with Dawn because I thought it was amusing. It was yes. some other therapist that had written it, or done a you video. Shared it with, yeah, it was, it was, no, it was a trauma therapist <laughs> who shared it. And you shared it with me, and I ranted. Um, <laughs> because I get so fed up of hearing these things. You will, you should. If you don't, then you feel like a terrible person because you're not doing the thing that they told shaming, you to do. It? it is, it's shaming. So it's adding to the shame. Um, but it's also trauma-informed means you don't automatically go, oh, that must be really traumatic. You don't, you don't automatically label people and see people for the stuff that happened to them. You see the person beyond it. So one of the issues in the dog world is that we're now stealing from psychology and um, uh, therapy and going, dogs must also have things in the DSM. Yes, diagnostic manual. So this giant manual of all the things that if, as lot, if you tick the boxes, it'll tell you, like, you put it in the top like a coin dropper, and at the bottom it says, this is what you've got. Because the Western world's very black and white. And right. it's conveniently written by the pharmaceutical companies, so when you finally do get a tick in the box, you then have a drug that will match that. Ooh, that's cool, <laughs> isn't it? How useful is it? So, um, the annoying thing for me is that there are trainers that will go, the dog's got trauma. So, for example, if a dog's got touch issues, well, he's got trauma, and therefore we shouldn't do that thing because he's got trauma. And actually what we do instead is go, well, why has that happened and how can we help move that forward so it doesn't feel like that in the future? So yeah. we, 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 we... Let's not diminish... Rewire yeah. that part of the brain that says, I don't like this or I can't handle this, and actually, look, you, you can. So we do a similar we do a similar thing with dogs and humans, except mine is more difficult than yours, and yours is not as accepted as mine because yours is rewiring through words, yes. and mine is uh, repetition and out of the dog's normal environment, which you can't really do with people. You can't have them live in your house for a week. Well, that's the interesting thing, right? So rehab, let's think of the Priory in London, yes. right? Famous rehab, place that all the stars go to. How many stars go to rehab and then are fine within a few months of coming out? They're not, because you create this false environment, everything changes, when they haven't got all the normal external pressures, and then they go back and they have all the normal external pressures. So it's, it's missing the point. They're not doing their behavior just because they had loads of money and they thought it was really cool and they couldn't stop it now. <laughs> everything starts from somewhere. And 
finding the, finding the reason do, and look, creating new responses. Detective work, again, it's problem solving and detective work, but I know the sort of behaviours you commonly get when you've had traumatic experiences, particularly growing up. So when somebody talks to me, I can probably make a good guess, like you can with a dog, um, some of the stuff that probably has gone on in the past. And you and I have got similar beliefs, which is why we work really well together, that we can help the world be slightly better. But we also find it quite overwhelming that in a lot of these systems, there's um, there's a severe lack. So, you know, the prison service that we went to this week, schools are really obvious for most people. Um, care homes, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. hospitals, it's just a bit overwhelming. It really is, and, and that's, you know, when I went to the recovery cafe thing and I learned about the recovery roadmap, I'm like, I don't want to be just another circle. Another the circle speaks to charities where they are in the city. I'm like, I don't want to be a circle. I, I don't want to just be another therapist. But then, but then also zooming out and, and so regulation is a, a scary word because regulation implies um, Punishment where you get it wrong. Yes, and also uh, stops and quells entrepreneurialism where you're doing it different and better. So, you know, if we regulate the dog training world to make all dog trainers do it this way and use the quadrants and only punish and only yep. reward, then you stop the people like myself who are going, well, what if we do this? Yep. What if we tweak that? Look at that, look at that. Stop doing that because that's not efficient. Um, so we want we want innovators we want people to kind of grow and do better yeah and we can't get that with regulation but then the opposite side of regulation is that everyone's doing their own thing yeah and it's <laughs> duplication of effort massively and, uh, yes. and you know again yes. back to the puzzle our, our farm you know somebody's working on the tractor somebody's working on the chicken somebody's working on the barn but you know just because you've got a map doesn't mean that it all works together you know, the, the field can't be harvested without the tractor. So I've zoomed out and I've zoomed out again. Yep. And I've ended up with yesterday having this meeting and um, confirmed my fears that Dundee is in fact benignly corrupt at the top. So, <laughs> do, do, do. so how, how do you change? And I think that the outcome for me to remain positive and not get downheartened about not being able to change the world quickly is to do the bits that you can. Do one thing. You can do one thing at a time. Even you, with all your stuff all over the place, can still only do one thing at a time. So it's, what's the one thing that I'm going to do next? What's well, the one and thing you and I, for us, it's we can train people to do more. So if we train one, one dog, one human at a time with our problems, that's fine. But if we train someone who can train other people, exactly. then we, we spread out our load and our information. Exactly. Which both of us kind of move towards more, which is helping the helpers which gives us a quicker spread, but it still allows us to do one thing, focus on one person, it's conversations, eye-opening stuff, making the awareness, all that sort so of stuff. So spread this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one of the things I wanted to talk about that's on our list of things to talk about. We have a list, by the way. This is unusual for our uh, podcasts. Well, but it that was, was me only making notes. Like, a minute or so before we start the podcast, so let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Stuff happens all the time, right? I know. Like, every day. I mean, we have a list from last year that we still haven't talked about. I know, we do. We've got stuff in my notes from Will we re ever run out of things to talk about? Doubt it. People might get bored of us by then, though. <laughs> um, so, I've got puck hockey written down. Yes. <laughs> so today, on the walk, we have um, a bulldog cross 
Golden Doodle, I know, what a cross, right? So she's one of the four that were given to me in an accidental mating and she's full of fun, just a year old, started a year, and chasing one of the other dogs round and having a great time and both owners are like, hey, look at them having fun. Uh, except that just before it happened, I said, aha, but the bulldog as the chaser needs to have an end point and if she catches, it was a Tibetan terrier she was chasing. So kind of equal in speed, but when they're running, one of them's going to turn, right? Normally the one in front. And when he turns, she catches up yeah. and she used her mouth. And so I said it was going to happen, and then it happened. And just about the place where it happened, that's where I would have used my buzz collar, my vibration, to go, hello, interrupt, interrupt reminder. And the dog goes, what? Oh, come back, cool, yep. right? But we didn't do that. It didn't happen. And it ended up with the, the other dog going, yep, and turning around and telling her, don't do that. And in itself, it's fine. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah. But... Do, is that enough for that dog to tell her not to do that, that she won't do it again? That's not the point in this conversation. The point in this conversation is that things slow down for me and I saw the open mouth, I mean, it would have been a second, but it looked, for me it's like five seconds in my head, that sequence of open mouth, head down, ears back, and turning dog, lunge, get it. I, I can actually see it in my head how it happened. And so one of the patrons... By the way, we've got a Patreon account. Uh, one of the we've got Patreon account. Testing our plugs every every time we do a podcast. It's like you're plugging so much. <laughs> so um, we're, we're going to have this podcast is sponsored by. <laughs> if you want to send us goodies, by the way, that is okay, right? Goodies are okay. Well, what do we want? Apart from yum yums. When do we want it? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> We need pens for the whiteboard. Yeah, we need. We've got little magic whiteboard and pens. I'm writing notes Although as we, I've got as we go. About twenty. All right. Well, we don't need them arrived. anymore. Definitely not. I don't know. Good mic equipment. Yeah, Greg's points or something. <laughs> Starbucks points. You know, Starbucks money. I think Starbucks should sponsor us. I think Starbucks should sponsor us as well. Anyway, so, hockey puck, right? Hockey puck. So one of the patrons said, "Oh, there was a study done." Now, I asked her to send it to me because I like to be able to read my own research. But one of the patrons said to me, "There's a study done on hockey players that apparently they, when the hockey puck is moving, yep, their brain slows everything down." so they can see and get the time to figure out the probability of where it's going to go and what they should do so that the sequence of what they yeah. should do and i was like oh that's kind of how i see it with dogs and then i went on to describe how when i was 11 we went to san diego zoo and there was mori eels in the big tank and i got lost and they couldn't they didn't know where i was i was standing in front of the tank for ages watching and i'm pretty sure there's um dominant behaviors because there's an older one it looked older like he was more wrinkly and hard than the other one and he was chasing them away from his cave and it was like he was he was acting in a sort of possession man this is my little cave and you guys can all just f off whenever they came near he was chasing them and they, yep. were, they all kind of gave darting away movements so when then my parents eventually found me where have you been oh my god i was like look at this look at this guy this is the boss guy <laughs> and then um, they weren't interested at all they thought i was weird <laughs> They just, you know, again, thinking from their perspective, lost their little girl, freaking out, happy to have found you. Why is she looking at the ugly eels? Why did she not, you know, <laughs> why did she get lost? So um, the reason I'm telling you that was because, for me, um, I've always been, like even younger than that, observational about yeah. things and communication. And so 
I'm wondering if it's something that's a learned behaviour or something that you're just born with knowing. And as I've got speaking to other trainers, really good ones all seem to have, from a young age, been interested in observing animals, just watching them. What are your thoughts, Don? <laughs> Sorry, I realise I've been speaking for a while. There. No, it's fine. The, um, the, the thought of the, the, the idea of slowing down time, as you know, doesn't entirely work for me, but I do think the idea of being able to be more tuned into detail and able to spot things that other people can't spot is the absolutely minutiae. the case. Yes, okay. Um, there's a lot of things. There was that uh, facial recognition thing, which is supposed to test for racial bias and stuff, where it kind of flips photos and stuff. Oh, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing, you know, your, your ability to observe, pick Were up details. Were you good details. at that, by the way? Um, I think I was okay. Yeah. I don't think I'm outstanding at things like that. Um, and I think so some of us may be more tuned to hearing things others may be visual but and some may pick up nuances of body language intonation and others just are totally clueless to it I don't so you've trained yourself with the NLP stuff to pick out words and people then that's how you find the trauma right with their words yeah. certain words that they use is that something that you've you knew that you were good at from a young yeah, age yeah I, I don't think so I, I think I've always been good at problem solving I've always been curious and um, been interested in how things work. Patterns, though, yeah, of people's behaviour. Curious, so not specifically with people and behaviour. I think I was too internal to have any awareness. So I, I, I'm pretty sure at some point somebody tried to bully me. I wouldn't have known. I, I was just, too much was going on in my head to notice my external world. But, if we don't have to get too personal here, um, you also were really good at noticing patterns of people that like before that because you know like there's this there's a yeah. space but before that when you were younger younger and somebody did something to you like um one of your step parents or parents you were good at responding to i was good at adapting yeah to, to their moods and yes. their that kind of yeah, stuff uh, i mean there's always a risk because we think we we know what's going on and we don't so my stepmother was violent she was an alcoholic so she was unpredictably violent with rages so, and so um, a young mind having to adapt to somebody who isn't consistent, yeah. that must do something. Yeah, it, it makes you on high alert and it makes you not trust anything. Um, but you also do learn. So I don't think my brother learns. I think he always fought against it. And I think that's why he struggled so much. And that's why he ran away. Whereas I just learned how to stay below the parapets and do what was necessary to survive. And I think that ability, that curiosity, that ability to pattern match and adapt is what allows me to then turn myself to anything and follow the same And also survive the abuse because he didn't. He turned to addiction yes, his so whole he life. Did. So he, yeah, he, he never managed to find a way of living with it. So he was always escaping from it. So um, the question, I guess, for that situation is, is it because he was older and less adaptable? Or is it because of genetic variation where you've got something that he didn't? I think it's a bit of both. I think he was older when everything started. So he was aware it was wrong and it was different. I don't remember the, the good times that before I was four. I don't remember so anything he does. To you. He remembers them. So for him, he noticed the difference. I just kind of went, okay, it's different. I'll, I'll live with this, you know. And, and you learn through various things what was different. Um, so I think I'm, I'm good at pattern matching. I, I know that I tried to pull my toy typewriter to bits, didn't know how to put it back together again, so hid it in the wardrobe, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I know I've always been interested so in stuff. I pulled a, I pulled apart a family computer, but I didn't have to hide it. I went, I broke this. 
Yeah, well, so for you, it was punishment. For me, it was, look what I did there. I didn't have to hide it. There wouldn't have been any punishment for okay. it at that stage. I think I must have been like 12, 13 or something. But I was terrified that they would find out because earlier there would have been consequences for it. In this new regime, there wouldn't have been, but I didn't know that anymore. Regime. Regime, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, and I love to read and I totally absorb books. And I had loads of friends that I would have this kind of discussion with. I've always, my whole life, had these kind of discussions, philosophical debates, psychological debates. I had a friend on a bus. My school bus was like 45 minutes, double-decker bus. Uh, start and end of every day and there was a friend who was only on the bus that I knew her because she wasn't in any of my classes and we used to talk about all sorts of random shit and your time. husband's quite intelligent he likes... and my husband and I that's how our relationship formed by just talking and talking through stuff and we you know most of our relationship was based on sitting in the car talking you know we'd sit up till six o'clock in the morning outside so my whole residence curiosity is a good word isn't yeah, it yeah curiosity so my my innate trait is curiosity um, I think my problem solving is quite an innate trait as well I don't think it's very easy to teach people but what that means, I can turn to any particular area and I'd probably be able to adapt and do it pretty well. So specifically in your therapy work, what kind of words do stick out to you when people are talking about their, their experience that may or may not have been trauma? How do you, what words do you think that you go, that's definitely important, but that one, that experience before, because it's memories you ask for, right? Yeah. So what words do you stick out to you? It's not, it's not really words. Um, it's... Uh, mindset and beliefs that they tell stories that are kind of clearly not true like you know the i'm not lovable is the kind of classic nobody loves me um you so know, that other... sticks out to you as something important yeah because other people have this so when they start saying other people this and i'm not and you're just like uh-huh what makes you think other people have this but you know the, so there's that stuff stands out do you think you could do the same if you didn't see them face to face like I know you do it on zoom but if you did it on the phone would you see the same no because people are not very good at narrating what's going on in their head but their faces but their face is really good so at you're actually it. reading that as I well. am and, and you know they might cry and they're not gonna go I'm crying just now yeah, or anything like absolutely. that so uh, sometimes when I'm talking to somebody there'll be a tear that comes down their face as they're talking and actually one of the times that you see that more often is when we've done the clearing and quite often people have a sense of grief when they realize what they've lost that they've lost a childhood because they've always believed something and that something was not true clearly and as they release that there's just it's this kind of yeah i've missed all of that you know and and what a shame that i've i've hated that kid or whatever you know and and believed that i wasn't loved when i was loved you know i had a client recently that was going hang on so what you're telling me is they did love me and I didn't say that I didn't say they loved you I just said you know this is what love and behavior are like and they were like hang on a second <laughs> you they did love me oh right okay and that's like a huge relief for them so yeah being able to see what's happening on their face if they're quiet are they quiet because they're processing are they quiet because they don't want to talk I have to have the video to be able to see all that stuff what about working with like people with um, voice disorders like you know like people that stammer yeah, it's um, it's really interesting. You can you can pretty much reprogram anything, and, and I think one of the things I've said before is everything has a reason behind it. Everything starts somewhere, um, so it's not just. If you look at the mechanism of the brain, what happens is we take information in, we process it, and we output in some way. Output can be writing or it can be talking. There are areas of the brain 
uh, there's Wernicke's area and there's another one which I always forget, I can never remember the two of them, um, that are responsible for um, audio processing and, and verbal output. And so everything in the brain, you've got, you've got this kind of whole meaning going on in the hippocampus. It's like, what do I do with this information? What does it mean? And how do I use it? And so before you take any action based on your input, you have to decide whether it's relevant, what you do with it, whether it's got any emotional content or anything like that. So if your brain finds a match to there being some risk to talking, then when it does that processing, it's going to be going, mm, we probably shouldn't What would the that. risk be? So um, there's all sorts of different things. It could be really easy, simple things like um, not being heard. I don't know, that doesn't sound particularly simple, but not being heard when where, you're a child. Where does the stammer come from then, initially? In terms of... So they're not born with it? No, they're not born with it. Everybody who I've helped with a stammer has developed it at some point in childhood as a uh, survival mechanism. Something's happened and they've learned that they shouldn't talk. So they can have been told specifically, don't say anything. I've had clients that were told, don't tell somebody what just happened. And the brain being told that when they're a child and doesn't have an understanding of why, just does this blanket, don't talk about anything that's happening. As you find often that the stammer will be worse with people that they don't know, like with strangers, and it might no, be okay? No, actually, not necessarily. It depends on the reason behind the stammer. Okay. So it's not, um, not necessarily worse, but it can be worse if they're having to offer their opinion or something that they might be judged for, depending on what the reason for the stammer was in the first place. So I've worked with people with, um, there's a young guy that comes to mind and he was much, much worse to begin with. But as he got to know me and I wasn't a stranger anymore to him, yeah. it kind of settled down. So you're, when you're safe to say okay. things to, okay. then the stammer has no purpose. So the stammer is serving a purpose. It's trying to prevent you from getting yourself in trouble by saying things that your brain doesn't think you should say. So not speaking up for yourself, not offering an opinion, not um, showing that you're knowledgeable or something like that. So it's really easy to create a stammer because you can second guess yourself and then suddenly you find it hard to say it's something. It's almost we like a, a neurological loop, isn't it? It is. We, we will do this, right? So we, we all, when we're processing, you know, sometimes you might start talking about something else totally random and have lost our chain of thought, or we might struggle to find the right word for something. And, and all that is, is like accentuated 10 times by this emotional mechanism that says, there's a risk we're doing that. And it doesn't even matter if you consciously don't think there's a risk. If your brain perceives a risk, we know it will take action. And in a stammer, the action is, I'll just make it so you can't speak. So have you worked with quite a few people with stammers? And how, how many sessions do they need to make a difference? So I've worked with quite a few people. Um, I don't think people realise how much a stammer can be changed. I think if you've ever seen that um, Educating Yorkshire show, which was about um, school kids, it was a reality TV show that follows teachers and school kids in a Yorkshire school. And there was a kid there who had a really, really bad stammer. And his teacher got him to listen to an audio track while he was talking. And if you remember what I said about the mechanism in the brain, audio applies to a different mechanism in the brain. So if he's trying to talk and his brain's kind of distracted by a shiny thing of hearing something, then the stammer doesn't get a chance to work and he was able to read a speech that he needed to do for his English. 
And the reason the teacher thought this would work it's was... It's like a redirect, to, isn't it? Yeah, it is a redirect. So the, the reason the teacher thought this would work was he watched the King's Speech film, and King George, I think it was, had a stammer, a really bad stammer. And the way he dealt with doing his speeches was he played music in the background on his whatever phone thingy it was, the old-fashioned music things. So this, this was amazing with this kid because he actually stood up and did an assembly to tell everybody how much his teacher had helped him. And he had initially he had to tap and do a rhythm, and then he kind of got the pattern, and then he got distracted enough that he was able to talk and it was able to flow. And most people with a stammer will have developed a technique. They might develop a word they said, or a to breath they take to try and get past the stammer. And you don't need to do that? No, I don't need to do that because I reprogram the brain so that the reason for their stammer no longer exists. So that miscalculation about why they shouldn't speak is taken away, then they have to relearn how to not have a stammer. So I have worked with a client who needed to give a speech at their daughter's wedding, and that was the reason they came to me, because they wanted to do their daughter proud, and they were very old people, not very old, but people very later in life, wow. have come to me, it's not people... So they had that their whole life? Yeah, they had that whole life, managed their whole life, avoided situations, came to me and said, this one is one I can't avoid and I want to do a good job on it. So we did the clearing of the thing out of the way, plus I talked to him about putting music on, plus I talked to him about how to do a good speech and how nobody really cares because they're all just wanting to get to the drinks and it's really boring when everybody's standing up there and talking, unless they're a comedian, <laughs> in which case, you know, it's really not going to work. So we did all of this stuff and then they were able to do their speech and it went fine and there was no problems. That's amazing. So yeah, it's just unlocking something that's been getting in the way and I think the problem with a lot of people is they don't even realise you can they just think it's a, a physical problem that you're going to be stuck with for life but it came from somewhere part of who they are yeah I mean sometimes I'm, I'm sure in some some cases kids are born with a stammer first talk is a stammer which can be indicative of, of bigger things going on in their brain but in most cases certainly the people I talk to something has happened and before that point, they didn't have a stammer, and after that point, they did. That's amazing. It's kind of cool. It is, kind yeah. of fun for me. It's one of those um, swan moments, you know? You stay cool on the surface, and like underneath, you're going, woohoo, this is so cool. Have you ever thought of like approaching the Stammer Association or National Stammer Headquarters or whoever it is? <laughs> no, because I can help with anything, and it's really easy to get lost in one particular thing and just go I can help with this I can help with this I can help with this and I just have to focus on helping the people who come to me it's like kids with anxiety it's huge it's a massive issue just now I can I will get lost if I try and work with all the kids that work with all the organizations that work with kids with well, you're in the same situation as me where we need more of you and me right so we need to train people to be able to do it yeah although we can do other programs that kind of do groundwork stuff but yeah, I think both of us, we want to help more people and without spreading ourselves too thin, the only way to help more people is to help other people help people. That, that's the only way that you can, you can work on this. But it's really hard to train, same as you, it's really hard for me to teach somebody to do what I do because yes, there's definitely steps that can improve what they do. But a lot of this comes from my way of looking at things, my problem-solving approach, my experience of knowing what works, even when somebody's like, well, that'll never work and I can never be fixed. And I can go, yeah, I understand why you think that way. I know it's not true, 
but I also know you're not going to believe me. But all I need you to do is give it a try. That's all I need from you is to kind of take a leap of faith and I'll do the rest. And, and to some degree you're the same. People will work with loads of trainers and done all their research, done their due diligence before they come to you and you're like the last resort very often. But, um, you know, when they come to you, you are the last stop. I'm the last stop as well. They don't need to go on to countless other people after us usually. Good. Well, that was that's a nice place to finish. Yes. Thanks well, for listening to us for the last ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Speak to you all soon.